Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Michael Edison uh, from Edison Coatings. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So tell me about your background. I received a degree in chemical engineering 48 years ago. It's a long time. (laughs) And um, I I started uh, right out of school working for a very large engineering firm. Uh, which I quickly recognized was a big mistake. (laughs) Um, I guess I'm just not the kind of person who's well-suited to sitting at a desk all day and and processing paperwork. And so after just a few weeks, uh, you know, working in a big building full of engineers, I uh, completely changed direction and went to work at a gypsum factory in Staten Island, New York. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Process engineer. Yeah. And that's really where I got started in construction products, Um, you know, learned how to make plaster and paint and stuccos and um, got to work in a fascinating industrial environment. Yes. That sounds interesting. My um, one of my good friends, they're they're both engineers. She's a civil engineer and he's a chemical engineer. And but he does and he's like a process engineer. So I um, to hear him talk, you know, we we can we can kind of see similarities in the things that we do with the the processes and, and things like that. So that's interesting that. And it makes sense that you would then, you know, have a coding, you know, find finding ways to bake building materials. Um, so what drew you into historic masonry, um, uh, restoration and preservation? Well, it, it, it kind of just naturally evolved that way. I, um, I started this company uh, 41 years ago. And, um, you know, initially our, our goal was to produce concrete repair and waterproofing materials. And it just so happened that we were working on a project in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, doing repair on, on precast concrete panels. And the owner of the building, who was a, a banker, came up to us one day and said, gee, those patches are awfully ugly. Can't you do anything to make them look better? And we sat there and said, well, yeah, we think we can. And we found the same red sand that they had used to make the panels in the first right. place. Voila, we were suddenly in the custom repair <laughs> business. And a short time later, an architect from New Haven stopped by and said, you know, I've been watching what you're doing and it looks really good. I have this historic brownstone building in New Haven that nobody knows what to do with. Do you think you could help us? Right. um, You know, that was our first landmark restoration project where we developed a brownstone repair mortar that matched the original brownstone. 
And um, I'll, I'll say that it wasn't um, overnight that our, our focus became historic preservation. Right. We opened the door to it. Oh, definitely. A period of a few years. Um, it became evident to us that that was a really interesting niche that we could fill. And so that's... that's yeah, and those, those um, brown stones and some of those softer, softer stones that they were using for building are not, they don't hold up in the weather because they're so soft. So there really do need to be solutions, solutions for them. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the more uh, traditional solutions were, were either very damaging in and of themselves or just not very durable. Right. And yeah, because so, you have to, you also, you have to have, get it to bond, but then you also have to, you know, deal with the protecting the, the original, the substrate at that point. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a challenge. Um, so tell me, tell me about Edison Coatings. Well, Edison Coatings is um, a company that I started uh, and, uh, we develop and manufacture uh, a fairly wide range of products, all of which focus on stone, masonry, and historic concrete repair, protection, restoration. And um, the number of items in that, in that toolbox continue to multiply as we, we encounter you know, all, the, all the unique uh, challenges that historic preservation seems to, to throw us into. Yes, I was I was um, impressed by your product list when I was when I was preparing for this and, and going through your website um, because you you do you do like the stone repair like we discussed but then you also have like the the lime based mortars and you have the concrete repair and you know some of the other um, um, coatings and things that like the the waterproofing mm -hmm. um, so I, I I was very impressed with with the amount of um, products that you have on your website. Well, thank you. I, I think what also makes us a little bit different is our focus on uh, technical competence. Right. And so, um, you know, for a small company, a, a, a disproportionate number of our staff members are degreed chemical engineers <laughs> and, um, you know, who understand why things are made the way they are and right. why, why they're being formulated to, to perform in certain ways. And, and in a matter of speaking, I've often said that even though we are a manufacturing company that gets paid for products that we produce, we really see ourselves as being a technical service business. And so um, I, I think that's the unique ingredient that we bring to the table. It's just, um, you know, that, that level of competence and also long corporate memory. I mean, we remember every mistake we've made for the last 40 years. <laughs> that's, that's important. That's you have to oh, learn yeah. from them. <laughs> that's absolutely. So, well, are your uh, clients typically then preservation professionals or is that who you typically yeah, So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a range of um, professional clients. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, a fair amount of what we're producing is being uh, made to fulfill a specification that's written by an architect or an engineer or a conservator. Right. Um, some of them are government agencies. Um, our, our other customer base are restoration contractors. And so, um, you know, between the specifiers, the, the, uh, the large institutions mm -hmm. and, and the uh, focused contractors, that, that's pretty much our foundation. Yeah. And do, when you're um, talking about like the, the specifiers, do they come to you with a problem and then you, you create a solution? Do you work with them then that way? Um, that's not uncommon. Okay. Uh, I mean, having done what we 
do for right. as long as we have, there's obviously um, a certain recognition of who we are and what we can do within our little market uh, specialty. But um, yeah, it's really common for um, you know an architect or, a, or an engineer to uh, reach out to us and say, we've got this you know, particular problem, send us pictures, send us photographs, if necessary, do site visits and, right. and help them come up with uh, a solution. That's that's really really a valuable a valuable skill set. Um, I'm assuming that you ship then nationwide. Do you sh do you ship internationally also or? So, uh, the the lion's share of what we do is United States and Canada. Okay. Uh, we've definitely had some overseas projects in Europe and Australia, and uh, we even sold a little bit of natural cement to the Chinese government. <laughs> but but primarily we're we're focused on on the United States and Canada. Yes. Okay. Um, and I saw that you have training opportunities. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So we believe um, strongly that training is in everybody's interest. Um, you know, there are just lots of things that you can easily avoid if you're aware of, you know, where, where the potential uh, pitfalls right. are in, in any process. And so we offer a variety of different ways for people to get training. Um, we have always had uh restoration workshops at least once a year, uh, sometimes more often, where people can come in and spend a day or two with us and actually get hands-on uh, as well as classroom instruction in how to handle the, 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 the key components in uh, stone and terracotta repair and also in historic repointing. Um, obviously with, with, uh, with COVID, that became a challenge last year. Right. We did our first all virtual one last year and it was kind of interesting because, you know, people attended that who never would have come to Connecticut for training. Oh, that's great. And so we did that again this year. And, um, you know, now all of our training videos are, are available as an online course that people can, can uh, sign up for. But um, we've also done other opportunities. We, we have trainers who will travel to a project site and train an entire crew, which on a major project, I think is important. Oh, yeah. Because then everybody involved in the job is on the same page. They all have been through the same training. And then usually our trainer in the process of teaching them how to use the materials will also help them get through their mock-ups where they get the finishes right, they get the colors under control. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, masonry um, matching, at least in my opinion, it's probably easier for people who do it often but it seems to me like it's a it if you can send the sample and, and get an exact match and get the form formula right it's easy but if you're trying to mix it on site it's really it's really hard to get a good a good match it's it's very hard to do it in a controlled fashion on site and then there's also the issue of of uh, corporate memory so <laughs> it's not unusual for someone to call us and say you know that project we worked on 20 years ago well we have a little more we want to do do you remember what you sold us Right. Yeah. Thankfully, you keep those records. <laughs> yeah. So what what are the common mistakes um, that you see when people are working with historic masonry? You know, I, I think the um, the most common um, places where things can go wrong are not unique to historic um, restoration. Um, we have um, seen, for example, that uh, uh, in some cases, the scope of work is incomplete. Right. Um, someone hasn't done the basic analysis of what the underlying problems are. And so that really doesn't help anybody. And, and, and that is something that 
still occurs yeah. to some extent, although I would say a lot less often than it did when we first began. Thankfully. <laughs> ago. Well, there's, there's a lot of educational effort going yeah. on out there. And, and then I think it's up to, um, you know, responsible manufacturers to tell a client, you know, I think you're overlooking something here. You really need right. to have your structural engineer look at this and that's not us. Right. <laughs> um, and so that, that's a common one. Um, I mean, some of the other things that, um, that we see um, is a, a, a misunderstanding of traditional versus contemporary materials and how they can or can't work together depending on the, on the particulars. And so that's always a, a constant um, focus of our, of our efforts is to, is to actually get into the technology and explain how these things work and why in some cases you're better off staying with that traditional method and material. And in other cases, that's just not gonna work and what would be an appropriate compatible alternative. Yeah. I think that's really important because I think that um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes a, a, a modern solution is actually better than what was, was used the, at first because sometimes the materials that they were using were inferior to, to the solutions we have now. They didn't always get it right. That right. certainly is, is part of it. Um, you know, another consideration is that just because something worked 100 or 200 years ago as a new construction material doesn't mean that it's going to work today as a restoration material. Right. Right. Um, right. And so uh, those, those are the kinds of decision making uh, uh, processes that we go through when making recommendations. So do you, um, I guess, to, to avoid those, then it would be to talk to people who understand both both sides, both the products, and then also the, how the building works. Is that how you would avoid those mistakes? I mean, ideally, we're, we're talking to someone who has, you know, that foundation. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in, in some cases, they, they're, they're relying on our expertise, and, and right. that's fine. We, we try to be very even-handed in laying out what the options are in any particular situation yeah. um, and what the pros and cons would be of any particular approach. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what trends and challenges do you see in preservation? Well, um, you know, I think there are, there are two different areas that I, I would uh, like to mention. And the first one is that there still seems to be, and I'll say still, because I've been slogging through this industry for decades, <laughs> But there still seems to be um, disproportionate reaction to things that have occasionally gone wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you um, an example of that. Um, recently, the New York City Department of Buildings uh, came to the conclusion that they would really rather see people replace their damaged terracotta than repair it. And that was based on some negative experiences with a competitive manufacturer's products not holding up. Uh, and we've never had that issue. And so right. it's it, to say, well, we shouldn't allow repair at all is, is a disproportionate response right. to the problem. Um, so I guess if I were to step back and, and try to broaden what the nature of that issue is, it's that very often, you know, we have people coming into these positions of decision-making authority who have very limited experience. Um, and so um, they're, they're, they're just not uh, focused enough on, on the details of how these things work to, to really make a, proper, a properly balanced decision. So that's been a constant um, battle in preservation for a long time. If you think about 
preservation in general, it's a really um, non-homogeneous people coming into historic preservation with degrees in structural engineering and you have other people coming into it with a degree in fine arts. Yeah. Well, I, I can talk color to the fine arts person and I can talk <laughs> uh, calculations to the engineer. But, um, you know, there, there are lots of cases where, um, you know, decisions are being made that really are uh, outside of the, the, the expertise of the person right. making those decisions. Yeah. So that, that, that's that's a challenge. That, that's a yes, that challenge. is a challenge. Yes. The, the other the other challenge, which I'll I'll look at more positively, is is that I think as an industry, everyone is focused on reducing carbon footprint. Mm. Yeah. Cement industry in particular, and certainly yeah. as you know, cement being a major component of what we use, uh, we're sensitive to that too. And you know, one of the more exciting things that that. Um, that have come along in our history is the ability to produce these low-fired natural cements. Oh yeah. Uh, which generate half the carbon dioxide that Portland cement production does. That's great. That's, That's great. Because I know, yeah, um, concrete is very hard on the environment from the sand to the high temperature firing. So that's great yeah. that you can do that at a lower. And do you get the same um, the same strength out of it? Well, um, you're not necessarily looking for the same strength when you're talking mm -hmm. about masonry applications. So right. Portland cement is fabulous if you want to pour 6,000 PSI concrete. Right. You're trying to make a moderate to low strength masonry mortar. Yeah. Natural cement is actually a better material. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, did, is there anything that you uh, thought of while we were talking that maybe you wanted to share that I didn't think to ask you? Well, um, I mean, I would just um, I would just reiterate that um, you know we're all we're all in learning mode all the time. We all need to be in learning mode all the time. Um, you know, the, there's there's just it's just as important to apply critical thinking to the technical decisions that we make as to the other decisions that we make about you know how we're going to go about our business and and how we're going to run our lives. Um, and we should always be open to new information. Um, we, we, should, we should be skeptical of everything. Um, that's good process. Yes. But, um, things are changing. And, you know, a lot of things that were impossible 30 or 40 years ago when we first got started is mainstream today. And, right. Uh, right. You know, you have to be able to distinguish between the things that are going to be a real contribution to the industry and things that are potentially going to come back to bite us. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with that. We tend to because we're not coming from a technical um, place. We tend to be very cautious recommending new products to 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 people because we want we want to see we want to see the track record before we started installing it. <laughs> That's very wise. <laughs> yes. So, did you have any offers um, for our listeners? I do, and so what we're going to do is. Uh, Anyone who wants to sign up for our email list, which is not, you know, super heavy on marketing, lots of technical yeah. content, that we will offer them $100 off a online uh, training course. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And um, can they sign up on your website? Is that where they would sign up? Or um, What I would suggest they do is, is just reach out to me. At, okay. Uh, and my email address is Edison Coatings, just like the company name at outlook.com. Email delivery. And then 
and we can do uh, we can take care of both providing them with the coupon for the for the training course and also get them signed up. Okay, very good. And then um, to, for our listeners to contact you, I know you gave the email. Should they also uh, visit your website, or are there other? There's a lot of technical content on the website okay. by design. Um, we we try to make that as informative as possible. Um, it's it's not marketing fluff. It's it's right. you know guide specifications, technical data sheets, safety data, um, case studies. And um, yeah, there's a, there's a wealth of information there that uh, we, we welcome people to take advantage of. Okay, well, and very good. EdisonCodings.com. EdisonCodings.com. Okay, very good. And I, I will make sure that also gets posted on our site when the, where the, um, the website or where the podcast lives. Um, okay, well, very good. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.